Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the $20 billion takeover sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Too easy. You started smiling. Before you even said it, you started smiling. Like you thought, did you think you had a good one? Or were you like, I think I'm taking an easy way out on no, this? No, it was the easy way out for sure. Sometimes <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do here? And this one, uh, this one pretty much writes itself. Well, this is, I'm glad I don't ever want you to start planning those. Like too much thought. I liked sort of the off the cuff and see where we go with it. And you went literal, you went easy, but that's okay. But do you want to explain what it means. Because folks right there are thinking, all right, wait, $20 billion. Wait, what did I miss during the week? What's happening? And I will just, uh, yeah, I will (laughs) set you up simply that DraftKings made a $20 billion offer to Entain, which is not a stranger to offers, by the way, though the first one was much lower. So they were right to reject that (laughs) offer. But uh, it's not happening right now, but the offer is out there. So Eben, why don't you set the scene and let us know what we're talking about here. A big potential deal in global sports betting and internet gambling. DraftKings uh, made this offer, $20 billion offer in, in stock and cash to Intain. For folks who are not familiar with Intain, the name, uh, Intain operates a ton of sports betting and, and online gambling brands around the world, particularly in Europe. Ladbrokes is theirs. B-Win is theirs. Party Poker is theirs. Coral is theirs. Uh, it's one of the biggest gambling companies in the world, uh, as evidenced by the $20 billion takeover offer. You mentioned there, Scott, that this is not the uh, the first major offer we've seen recently to Intain. You're right. Back in, I think, at the end of December, early January, Intain rejected an $11 billion takeover offer from MGM, which is a 50-50 partner uh, with Intain on BetMGM. So do you think, like do you think there were some chuckles? There. Do you think there were some chuckles with the, you know, with, uh, wait, wait, we have an offer. It's almost like when you get an offer on your house and, and the broker tells you what it is and you're like, that's, that's not even a serious offer. Like there's no counter, there's no anything. We're just rejecting it where there's some chuckles at the, uh, at the Intain board and saying, no, 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 no. You can, you can certainly argue that the last eight, six months have been very good for Intain. The, the stock itself is also up a bunch since MGM made that offer. But no question, when you, when you reject an $11 billion offer for your company and six months later you get a $20 billion offer, uh, th- that, that rejection looks really good in hindsight. Um, as you said, Scott, also this deal is not done. This is a, a, an offer that is going to go in front of the Intain board. It's going to go in front of Intain shareholders. And the really kind of interesting and potentially thorny aspect to all this is, is BetMGM. As I mentioned, BetMGM, which is the is, is a sports betting brand uh, and iGaming brand here in the US, that is a 50-50 venture between MGM and Intain. MGM says that in the documents that set up BetMGM, they essentially get the right to approve any deal in which Intain buys a sports betting operator in the U.S. or is acquired by a sports betting operator in the U.S., DraftKings obviously falls into that category. So it does seem as though if this deal is to go through, it is not only going to be a deal between DraftKings and Intain, it is also going to be a deal that involves MGM Resorts International either buying back the 50% of BetMGM, either being paid uh, to kind of resume the ownership, whatever the exact mechanism is. It seems like a decent chance if this deal happens, MGM is going to retake over all of BetMGM and they will need a tech partner to, to get that platform back up and running on the back end. So MGM has the hammer here. They don't want it to happen. It does not happen. 
and I think that yeah, the, the I think the easiest way to to kind of see that we saw the stocks move when this deal when, when yeah. this offer was Entain announced. up, <laughs> DraftKings down, and it was like up twenty percent that day. Like DraftKings was like down eight percent, right? DraftKings down eight percent, which happens a lot during these takeover offers. Yeah. It's it's pretty common that the company offering all the money uh, ends up seeing a dip. The interesting one here, Scott, I think MGM went up a little bit. Uh, this is again a deal that if this happens, BetMGM loses its tech partner in Intain, needs to go find either by acquisition or by partnership a new way to actually operate BetMGM. But the market saw this as a potentially good thing for MGM. And I think the way to read into that is that people who are MGM shareholders thinking, hey, this puts MGM in a really good negotiating position. They're going to be able to kind of dictate terms to a degree on what they want, what BetMGM is worth, what that looks like going forward. And I think that's why you saw MGM stock up, even though this creates kind of a thorny set of short-term issues for BetMGM. All right. We live in a me-centric world. So is it okay for me to bring a what about me, you know, line or two into this? We, we, we got Absolutely. wind of this. We got wind of this in the morning and it affected me, gosh darn it. Like I wasn't happy about this, right? Besides the fact that you had to jump on and write a story. Sorry about that, but thank you very much for jumping on quickly. Uh, you know where I'm going with this? How it affected me? Uh, I no? have a few guesses, but I'm going to let you go. You want to you guess? I mean, you, you know. You, you know, I just don't think you know where I'm going. Yeah, I don't know exactly where you're All going. All right. Go well, ahead. the day of this news breaking, Sportico hosted its inaugural power lunch in New York City. And Jason Robbins, the CEO of DraftKings, was one of the confirmed attendees. <laughs> and uh, not to our surprise, <laughs> Jason uh, got a little busy and couldn't quite make it to the lunch. Um, but let us I'll toot my own horn here and our own horn. What, what a fun room to, first of all, to be back uh, shaking hands and, and seeing people in person. Uh, what, what a great treat. But when you walk into the room and I look to the right and there's Adam Silver sitting next to Casey Wasserman and Randy Levine and Jerry Cardinal and our friend Mark Gannis, who was a previous guest on the podcast. And then I look to my left and there's Mark Lassery and and not only not only Josh Harris, but David Blitzer. We have the entire Harris and Blitzer uh, and, and George Pine and Shad Khan. Um, it was a Rubin. room, Michael yeah. Rubin. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a, it was a room, Stephanie McMahon. Um, just a, just a really fun room to, to see those folks talking sports business, sharing ideas, catching up. How have you been doing? What, what are you working on? Um, I mean, sorry that, uh, that Jason had to miss it, but we did understand due to the breaking news earlier that day, but, uh, you know, who else was a deal maker or has mm. been a deal maker? Steve Ballmer. Oh yeah. He's, he's been wheeling, dealing. You were out there with Steve. You knew the first part with the Intuit Dome, but we're, we're adding zeros uh, on top of what the Clippers have already done with Intuit with yet another deal. You want to give me a, a dollar total and over how many days? Because it's pretty impressive in that I, I will. span. Yeah, not a bad 10, 10 day stretch for Steve Ballmer and the Clippers. Uh, early, late uh, a week and a half ago, they announced the new the plans for the new $1.8 billion arena. Part of that was the in, Intuit deal, as you mentioned, Scott, naming rights to that arena somewhere between $500 and $600 million is, is, uh, over the length of a 23 year contract for Intuit. One of the biggest naming rights deals, if not the biggest um, ever in, in, in US sports. And 
and then just this week, um, a- another partnership the Clippers signed with uh, with Aspiration, which is a, a green kind of fintech company. Uh, that is, I was told, under four hundred million dollars, but but close to four hundred million. You can do the easy math there back of the envelope. The Clippers have negotiated in just these two deals. They're both twenty three year deals, which we can get into because I'm fascinated by the length on that. But these two deals alone, almost a billion dollars of commercial partnerships in ten days, more than half of the cost of the arena itself. I am just very happy that it did make it easy from a mathematics perspective and that I had the six and the four. That is easy to get to the 10, add those zeros. And I know that's a billion dollars over 10 days. And it's one of these foundation partners, right? You're a founding partner of something. You don't have the naming rights, but you're a founding partner and you get some ancillary benefits, of course, with that. Um, And Aspiration, by the way, going public via SPAC deal. Mm -hmm. So a way to get the name out there, uh, get, get familiarity. Um, yeah, it's, it's a a, a pretty good 10 day stretch for Steve Ballmer and and the Clippers. Um, this is what he said he was going to do, right? He, he was going to build the premier basketball facility. And when you're the richest owner in, in the league and you have the net worth that he does, you can spend extra on double the number of toilets that all other facilities have and the scoreboards you want and the screens and that that's what he's doing. He's fulfilling the promise. And clearly he's getting buy-in from potential partners because they're ponying up to be part of that vision. And you control the, all the revenue, the, the, the money that Staples pays for the Staples center. Uh, all of that money doesn't go to the Clippers because they are just a tenant in that building. Um, and this is all money that is going to go to the group that owns, owns the Intuit dome. And that, and that's the Clippers themselves. So, so all of these deals, kind of the start of kind of a big, I think, business flex for the Clippers. Scott, I am, I'm kind of blown away by the 23 year length on some of these deals. I am, I don't understand how you even begin to think about inflation, how different your company could be. I mean, there's a chance that, that Aspiration isn't around in 23 years. There's a chance that Aspiration is one of the biggest fintech companies in the world in 23 years. You mean like Enron Field? (laughs) this, This could be the biggest bargain Ever for the company, this could be the biggest design. I mean, there, I don't even understand how you can begin to think about what value is, what what the prospect for this arena looks like in 23 years when, let's be honest, it's not going to be one of the best arenas in the NBA uh, 23 years from now, no matter how good it is. When, when well, they if, they, it if he retrofits it every years. three years is what you have to do these days. You know, you get your facelift every three years, a little Botox uh, in, in, in the foundation, uh, a little nip, possible. a little tuck. I'm sure there are escalators that make this deal a lot worth a lot more in in 21 years than it is uh, in next year. Um, I think you're but- buying into partners here, Evan. This is mm-hmm. when you'd strike a deal like this, you're really saying, do I want to align my brand with I would say the team? Yes, what does it stand for? Performance counts, but what does it stand for more importantly, who the backer is? So do I want to if I'm into it, am I game for a long-term tie-up with Steve Ballmer? And clearly the answer was yes. But those are the questions. Surely you could say, look, the arena in 20 years is not going to be the brand spanking new, beautiful thing. And maybe you have another one. I mean, the lifespan of these things has, has diminished also greatly. Good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, but you're, you're aligning, your, this is brand alignment. And the brand for the Clippers is, of course, the team and the NBA, but the brand is also Steve Ballmer. Are you comfortable with that alignment? The answer is yes. Yeah, and and there's a there's a sustainability uh, green play Component here to this, yes. as well. As you said, Scott, I, I sat with Steve ten days ago when he announced the plans here. He was gushing over a lot of the things that they're doing. 
a lot more expensive as well. Um, but in terms of the sustainable concrete that they sourced, the entire arena is going to be carbon free from the day it opens by operating off solar and battery power. There's natural ventilation. There's um, a green roof like they have at the Barclays Center. There's a whole lot of things that they're doing uh, to make this building one of the more sustainable or if not the most sustainable uh, sports stadium or arena in the country. And that aligns very well with aspiration as well. So if they're looking for kind of a, a core central partner, someone to dance with for the next 23 years, as you're talking about, not only are, are Steve Ballmer and the Clippers a good partner uh, just because of who they are, but they also just align from a mission standpoint uh, with the sustainable piece of Aspirations business. And you know, Eben, like you're hearing more and more about sustainability coming from venues, coming from teams, coming from leagues. My crystal ball, and we don't do a lot of crystal ball, but looking forward, I foresee sports and entertainment as a leading industry in terms of sustainability. Uh, and they're going to have to they're going to have to live it. They can't just say it because they're going to be held to it. And whether that's in travel, whether that's in facility construction and management, in every phase of what these teams and leagues do and how they operate, they're going to have to find a way to be eco-friendly. And, and the leagues, something tells me we're, we're on the precipice of something big from the leagues in a collective manner where they decide, all right, we can't just say it. We can't act individually. We can't wait for somebody else to do it. We're, we are going to channel our inner Greta Thunberg and lead by example. And if that is a collective um, approach, perhaps, I don't know, but surely they understand the commissioners of the four leagues and the other, and the other major sports leagues understand that the impact that can be created acting as a unified force is greater than if they all go about it separately. But I, I just see sports and entertainment leading the way. I think that's right. And, and to kind of backstop that point, we've seen an, a, a few stadiums like Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami and all of the Cronky properties, including Ball Arena, starting to move away from plastic cups to the recyclable aluminum cup that Ball put together. I mean, that's essentially the reason why Ball is took the naming rights to the to the arena in Denver was because the Cronky family was going to be such a big partner in this in this new initiative. Uh, so I think you're right about that, Scott. Let's transition from one marketing trend to another. Uh, sticking in the NBA, we've seen a handful of new jersey patch deals come in the last few weeks. Uh, for folks who don't remember, a few years ago, I think it was three years ago, the NBA started its jersey patch program. Uh, a lot of those deals expired at the end of last year. So we're starting to see the second iteration, the second deal that teams are negotiating. Uh, the Nets and Weeble earlier this week uh, announced a, a deal worth around $30 million a year. Last week, it was the Lakers and, and Bibigo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a Korean dumpling company. It's Bibigo. You got it right. Around $20 million a year, the Sixers and Crypto.com around $10 million a year. Um, it seems like we are now firmly in this point where we're going to see a whole bunch of new NBA patch deals coming in. Yeah. And you and I have been doing this show for a long time and we sort of got a nice rhythm. You know, when I'm going to go somewhere, if I'm going to pivot, right? You, you, have a, you have a good sense. You, you totally stepped up. You had no idea that I wanted to take 30 seconds and be like, you know, Eben, you were out in LA. I haven't been out there in a while, <laughs> but I really want to see like this, the, the SoFi Stadium next to the construction site for the Intuit Dome next to the NFL's new entertainment headquarters there. I mean, if people aren't familiar, it's right down the street from LAX where Hollywood Park was. 
Um, you know, you're 10, 15 minutes past the In-N-Out Burger on Sepulveda. Keep going down the, and you get to Santa Monica. Yeah, 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 yeah. The forum is down there. Yeah. So I, I want to go check all this out. It's really, it sounds like, you know, you had, you know, LA Live downtown and the ESPN zone down there. Now you've got this new like, entertainment district right out there by LAX. Like, I can't wait to go see it. Now you were saying something about uh, patches in Jersey and, <laughs> and you said Bibigo because now I'm hungry because I want soup dumplings. But uh, every time somebody mentions that deal, I'm like, oh man, a good Chinatown soup dumpling right now would be great. Um, but the, the interesting one, yes, uh, all, all of those are, and they're widespread. It's not, if you own multiple brands in the portfolio, Obviously, like the Nets is also the Liberty and the esports teams and the G League. You, you do it, you know, around. And I don't think it's much as much for the Nets and, and BSE Global. I think it's more it's more about global expansion. I don't think it's about sort of taking a few bucks for Joe Sy and slapping a logo on your jersey. It, it's about exporting more than importing money. It's about exporting that Brooklyn brand around the world. So th- there are different vehicles, but the one you and I think has the farest reaching implications, at least right now, and, and it's fun to talk about, are the Washington Capitals. Hmm. And yep. you know they, they put the Caesars Sportsbook. They were the first hockey team to put it. They had the Caesars Sportsbook. They had the Caesars Lounge in the arena. And it's just that next step, that, that advancement of sports betting on the jersey. And I mean, who would have thought five years ago, right? When, when we did that talk on Capitol Hill about where we're going in sports betting, boy, it's really been accelerated. It would have been incomprehensible. And and even this, I think even maybe two two years ago, even after the Supreme Court decision, uh, would have seemed like a long shot. I mean, two things had to happen here. One, leagues like the NHL had to approve uh, advertising on the jerseys. And, and two, they had to be okay with sports betting companies. And, and both those things did happen. As you said, Scott, this is the first NHL team to announce its, its, its jersey partner. Uh, it's about $6 million a year from what we understand. That's just for the home jersey so the capitals will still be able to pay or to to, to solicit uh, a, a jersey partner patch for the away jersey the white as well. road jersey yeah i imagine that one may not be as lucrative there's obviously a a kind of connection as you said between caesars being on the jersey uh in games when there is a caesar sports book uh inside the venue that is open for people to gamble at um but a good interesting sense of of what these things are going to cost. I mean, we talked about the Clippers or the 76ers there. Their patch was about $10 million a year. It seems like if the caps are getting 6 million for their, uh, for their home Jersey, that the caps could very easily also be around $10 million a year uh, for their patches. And that I imagine is a really good number for other folks around the league to think about as they, as they hit the market to try to sell these things. Yeah. But let's, let's look at who's doing it. Like this is, this is the part I like, right? You've got sort of an international brokerage firm an online brokerage. You've got like, I like the food company. That's interesting. And the Lakers are obviously taking, uh, capitalizing on LeBron and, and exporting that brand. Fine. But crypto, sports betting, I think that's where we're going to see more. And if you look at crypto.com, by the way, I don't know how much they've spent, but they're on a, a slew a already, right? Yeah. It's like PSG, <laughs> the, the, the Montreal Canadiens, um, hello, Cole Caulfield, by the way, uh, UFC, F1, Syria. So clearly, Crypto.com says sports is a vehicle to reach the folks that we think will be on our platform. So younger sports fans, it seems like a marriage made in heaven for crypto. And when are we going to see it? Like, who's going to be, do we have the Super Bowl advertisers yet? Like, I know there aren't a lot left and they're selling a year out already. Like, how much crypto and stuff are we going to see on big, big ticket broadcasts? 
Yeah, we're seeing it in in naming rights. The 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 Miami Arena is now the the FTX Arena. We're seeing it in in jersey deals and other sports. The, and they're the on the umpires, but FTX is on the umpires. FTX shirts is too. on umpires. Yep. The biggest jersey deal, I believe, in MLS history is the one that Inter Miami just announced uh, with XBTO, which is a a uh, cryptocurrency finance platform. Um, we are seeing, I think, between you're right, between sports betting. And in crypto, we're seeing kind of two massive new advertising categories for sports that did not exist at all really four years ago. And that's extremely additive and, and really beneficial for media partners, for sports teams themselves, and at some point, I think fairly soon for athletes as well. And I have a TV property that if you're an advertiser and you're looking to spend some money, I have a TV property that did not exist before as of like a week ago, but exists now that I think, Edmund, if you were in charge of the purse strings, might interest you. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Tell us more. Let's just say I was the National Football League. Let's just say there were some early round playoff games that were traditionally held over the weekend. And I said, wait a minute, I've got an idea. We already know that people do like to watch football on Monday nights. You know, I think there's a show by that, that title. We, we know this. They like Sunday night. They like Monday night. Uh, what if we pivoted a little bit and rejiggered our schedule so that one of those early playoff games would be shown on Monday night when lots of people are home with nothing else to do and lots of eyeballs? That might be a valuable property. Do you think the NFL will ever think of such an idea, Evan? What an idea, Scott. I don't know Thank where you, you got that idea. <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, here's another chance for me to, by the way, tutor on him. Uh, Rini Anderson of the NFL and uh, Brian Rolap, the man in charge of things like this, were also at our yeah. at our power lunch in New York. So hi to Rini and Brian. Thanks for coming. Um, but something tells me Brian had a hand in this. Yeah, and it's it's a smart move. The the NFL, the, the, the Super Wild Card Week, the one that they expanded just a few years ago is six games. And in the past, they've done that three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. They are now mixing that up. As you said, I believe it's two games Saturday, three games Sunday, one game Monday, um, which, which spreads things out. I imagine, as you said, people are used to watching football on Monday nights. There's no reason they're not going to want to do that in, in massive numbers for the playoffs as well. Uh, and the interesting thing I think for both of us is how do you now spread these games out around your media partners? Uh, I believe for this year, Coming up, there's going to be two games each for NBC and CBS, one game for Fox, one game for ESPN. It's unclear right now if that Monday night game goes to ESPN because they are the owner of the Monday night slot during the regular season. But moving forward, it certainly seems as though there's going to have to be some more added negotiations. Who wants to pay a little bit more? Who really cares the most about oh, that? It's going to be like a yard sale. I mean, there's going to be a big old for sale sign stuck right in the middle of that I lawn. I think you end up creating a potentially really valuable playoff game here that sports be partners of the league, that the TV partners, those, those big four companies may need to kind of compete a little bit against each other to get. Right. All right. I'm going to close it now. That was a good idea. And by the way, my wife's up. This is the first time my wife started a new gig. So she's upstairs on, on the phone with some colleagues on the computer. So this is like the first time where I got to yell, would you keep it down? But you know, she, whatever, she's upstairs doing it. It's her first day. I'm going to everybody uh, give her a little follow or, or whatever and wish her luck or just go through me and I'll pass it along. He is Edmund Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. 
I am on Twitter at Sashnik Core our social media editor. Likes me to remind you the show is at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will very soon become. I've got interesting news for you, Eben. I'll tell you off air, but we're getting close Ooh. to that becoming the hub of the Sportico Podcast Network. 